Okay, okay. Oh, the control. <laughs> Amazing. It's good to be here. You've had new lights since last time I came. So you're a little fuzzy at the back, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, before I actually start, I want to um, express some gratitude to some of you. Um, if you don't know, I lead the location at Wheelie Castle. We're in Counter Church, one church, two locations. This is one location. The other one, Wheelie Castle, is the church that I lead. So I don't come here very often. Um, and we have our service at 10 o'clock because we're hardcore. And so I finished preaching at 10 past 11 um, today and dashed over and Emily said, where have you been? I thought you weren't coming. Give me a chance. (laughs) We could do a teleport system. Beam me up, Scotty. But anyway, fortunately, it's not far. But I've digressed. Um, We've been running for, since the beginning of November, a warm space. We felt that it was right to do for our community. We got together with other churches and community groups to make sure that somewhere in Wheelie Castle was open every weekday over the winter where people could come, maybe turn their own heating off, get to know some people in community, have some free food. And so we started to run that in November and we had quite small numbers to start with, but it has grown and grown and grown. And We did the last one last Thursday and the place was rammed, honestly. We all went home for a lie down at the end. It was quite tiring. But it has just been great. And we've had new family come to church through it. We've got a guy on Alpha because of it. We've got to know people in the community. It's just been so good. So good that we're actually continuing it in a different form. We're calling it a welcome space because we hope the weather is going to get warmer and we won't need a warm space anymore. Um, we're going to reduce it to two hours because we all need a bit of a rest. But um, but we're going to continue that on a Thursday morning. But I wanted to say thank you because certain people from here have come over faithfully on a Thursday, helped serve drinks, helped clean up, just mucked in, talked to people. I know some of you have given tins of soup, cans of beans financially. And I just want to say a real thank you to everyone who has been involved. I'm not going to name names because I'll miss people. And like I say, you're a bit of a blur. But thank you. It's been a real blessing to Wheelie Castle and uh, it's definitely gone really, really well. And I believe it's been a blessing to the kingdom and that's what it's about. So thank you again. But we're going to continue our 40 Days with Jesus series. And we're looking at how after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to lots and lots and lots of people uh, to show them that he was alive And he changed their lives then and he can change our lives now. So we're going to be looking today at something called an eye-opening journey. And so I wonder how your eyesight is. I remember a few years ago I started to notice there was something wrong with our TV because when I put it on I couldn't read the TV guide so well. It just seemed a little bit fuzzy. So we bought a bigger TV and it was fine. So that was good. And the other thing I noticed about the same time was that, you know the little jars you get in supermarkets and the ingredients? Now, two of my children have allergies, so I have to read the ingredients. And I was finding that they kept printing them smaller and smaller, I think, because I was really struggling to read them. And once or twice, I had to take a photo on my phone and then zoom in to read them. And then they changed the law and said you had to put allergies in bold. And uh, it's okay now, which is good. 
But then I realised eventually I had to succumb to the reading glasses. Because if anyone is wondering about my TV, yeah, it was just bigger, bigger writing. But the thing I like about these, I can read what I'm going to speak on, but you're all really blurry, which I really don't like. So I'm now one of these awkward people that does this all the time. Anyway, vision is really, really important, isn't it? If you can't see, it impacts how you see the world. It impacts the understanding of the world. It affects your confidence, the way that you engage with the world. Yesterday, no, Friday, my younger daughter decided she was going to see her friends in Bristol. And she'd Googled how long it takes to get to Bristol and it said 90 minutes, which is about right. And, but then about half an hour before she was due to leave, she Googled it again and it said three hours. Because there's a big, you looked at Worcester and it was just red lines all the way around Worcester. Said, oh, no. So she set off on this journey and she, she got me on location so I could see where she was and she could, I could see where she was. And she got, obviously, her phone. To, and even the phone said there's no directions because of road conditions. So she kept ringing me up and she's going, do I go down here, do I go down there? And I'm trying to see where she is. And I'm going, no, turn left and all. Finally, she gets to the bottom of the the problem under, underneath Worcester, south of Worcester, and she's on the motorway shooting along, and I think, great. And about um, some time later, I thought, I'm just going to have a quick look, make sure she's got to her friend's house, because that's what mothers do. And uh, I looked, and the dot seemed to be, the dot of her seemed to be in the Bristol Channel. It's a little bit worrying. And then the dot moved slightly, and I could see she was actually on the motorway heading towards the Seven Bridge, and I'm like, so I text her, I'm like, why are you going to Wales? And anyway, what had happened, she said afterwards, she did get to her friends finally, every about three hours. And I said to her, I said, what were you doing going to Wales? And she said, oh, it was getting dark, she said, and I didn't see the road. So I accidentally got on the wrong motorway and went over towards Wales. This, I mean, I'm hoping she could see the road. <laughs> she just meant hopefully she missed the sign, but... Vision is so important, isn't it? Vision is so important. And if we don't have a clear vision of Christ, it will impact our relationship with him. It will impact our understanding of him and who he is. And it will impact the confidence that we have in him. So today is a little bit like a spiritual visit to the opticians. I'm sure you've all been to the opticians and read the... Read the uh, letters or not and all of that this is what it's going to be a little bit like today first I want to say is this isn't about what does Jesus look like now if you're about the same age as me or maybe older you might have had a grandma who had a picture of Jesus on the wall and that picture of Jesus was of a man very very pale skin lovely blonde flowing hair and beard really gorgeous blue eyes And when I was growing up, that's what I thought Jesus looked like because that was the picture that my grandma had on her wall. And you may have seen the exact same picture if you're as old as me on somebody's wall. And that was okay, I guess, for me to think that's what Jesus looked like. But of course, we now realise Jesus was born in the Middle East. He had nothing nothing like that. His eyes would not have been blue. His Skin would have been probably more of an olive skin. He got dark hair. He was a carpenter, so he was used to lugging heavy trees around. So he was probably more muscular than this 
delicate person that I saw on my grandma's wall. And his hands, rather than being all sort of gentle, would have been, you know, rough, carpenter hands. You know, maybe some scratches, maybe some calluses. But it doesn't matter. This is not about what we think Jesus looked like. I don't think it matters if you've got an idea when you pray in your mind, that kind of idea, this is, this is Jesus. But, you know, this is about our spiritual sight. I'm going to read the account, Luke 24, starting from verse 13. And this is two more people who had an encounter with Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. Starting at verse 13. Now that same day... So that's the day that Mary had gone to the tomb and found Jesus risen. Two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They'd just been through that horrible weekend of Jesus' death. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened all the, the, there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with, him, with them, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke bread. So Cleopas and his unnamed friends were followers of Jesus. They'd just gone through the harrowing hours of the death of Jesus. They may well have witnessed the crucifixion. Now they're leaving the city and heading up to a town named Emmaus. Before they leave Jerusalem, they hear some rumours that Jesus had been seen alive. 
But their demeanour tells us they didn't really believe what they'd heard. They were downcast. Surely, if they'd have believed it, they'd have run back to Jerusalem to see for themselves. But they were on the way out. They were also amazed by what the women had told them about seeing Jesus alive. I think they were what you could call confused.com. And as they walk along, Jesus joins them, but they don't see him for who, they, for who he is. Their vision, for some reason, is blurred, not literally, but nevertheless, they're walking alongside someone who they knew, but they just didn't know who he was. It's a bit strange. Verse 16 says, they were kept from recognizing him. But you've got to think, they've just seen this man be crucified, which is something too horrific for us to even imagine. So there would be no way there would brains, in a way, would compute the fact that, oh, he's here. It just wouldn't make any sense at all. One commentator suggested that Satan kept them blinded spiritually. Some suggest that God was keeping them sort of blind. But is it possible that some of it was about their attitude and what was going on in them that was causing this kind of blurred spiritual vision? So what was blinding them? Firstly, I think they were blinded by despair. They stood still, their faces downcast. You can imagine it, can't you? Can you just imagine what a state we're in? What a state are we in? The immense sense of sadness. Totally understandable. Don't think you'd be any different. You wouldn't. You see, the cause of their despair really was they were looking at life without the resurrection. They thought, this is over now. This is done. No resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 18, says this. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. I mean, he doesn't mince his words, does he? He doesn't say, well, if Christ was not raised, well, you know, still come to church, still talk because it's nice, you're all friends, you have a good time, it's nice to sing a few songs, get the bands up, have a cup of coffee and a biscuit afterwards. No, he said, if Christ is not raised, if there's no resurrection, your faith is a waste of time. It's a waste of your life. You might as well go home and put the TV on, do something else. And the disciples who met Jesus on the Emmaus Road, they were looking at a futile future of just being lost. You see, the resurrection is everything. It's not a little bit important, it's it. It is totally, totally important. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we might as well shut the doors. But we keep them open because we know that he did. But you know, when you've been a Christian for many years, do you lose that sense of importance of the resurrection? Do we become a bit complacent about it? It's a a story. We think about it most at Easter, don't we? We have a really rousing, that's when they get everyone in the band up. You know, and everybody, oh, yes, Christ is risen, he's risen, he's risen indeed. And, you know, do we ever sort of almost park it on April the 9th or whatever it is going to be this year and forget about the ongoing significance? 
Do we even think about it? What does it actually mean to us? And yet it is so important. If we allow our sense of awe of the resurrection to fade, if we become so familiar, if we forget the reality of what actually took place, then in the middle of our challenges in our lives, we can find ourselves living with a sense of despair, similar to someone who didn't believe it in the first place. You see, if Christ is raised, then the the dead are raised to life. We, We can look forward to... To the resurrection. And that means the most awful thing that can happen in life. Ultimately, eternally, even that will be raised to life. That is what our hope is. Does it even, you know, I'm not saying, you know, life can get really bad and it can be really horrible sometimes. But our final, our full hope is in the resurrection. Because our lives on earth are so tiny compared to eternity. And our hope is in the resurrection. And that hope, when everything else looks like it's just falling apart, when it looks like everything else is lost, that hope alone keeps us going and it keeps us on track. The resurrection is everything. So their vision was blurred by despair, but it was also blurred by disappointment. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, they said. But you see, they had put their faith in a false understanding of what Jesus had come to do. Disappointment is similar to disillusionment. And if you're disillusioned, it means that at some point you've been living under an illusion. You thought God was going to do such and such in such and such a way. Someone told you God would definitely sort this, God would do this, God would do that. And you were living under an illusion of how things may turn out that was never true in the first place. You weren't really thinking about things the way they really were. And you know, if you thought God was going to do something in a certain way, you will be disappointed if he doesn't. Sometimes he does, but if he's disappointed. The disciples were expecting Jesus to come and get rid of the Romans. It would have been a little bit like the Ukrainians thinking Jesus had come to get rid of the Russians, the Russian oppressors. They believed that here was someone who'd come to relieve one nation from one oppressor, oppressor at one time in history. But actually what Jesus had come to do was to free everyone from the power of sin for all time. A much, 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 much bigger vision than what they saw. You see, they saw the death of Jesus. They saw the cross as a disappointment because it was the end, they thought. You know, when things don't go the way we think they should, we get disappointed. And sometimes when we get disappointed, it's easy, isn't it, to start to take a bit of a step back. And God wants us to put our faith and hope in the bigger, wider vision, the plans and purposes that God has for the earth. Disappointment can have a huge blurring effect on us. And our vision also, thirdly, can be blurred by doubt. I've just noticed something, you know, with these glasses on, I can't see what the time says at all. Don't worry. Oh, I can now. All right. Sorry. Our vision can be blurred by despair, by disappointment and by doubt. And having revealed their disappointment concerning the cross, they go on to reveal their doubt concerning the resurrection. 
In addition, some of our women amazed us, they said. They went to the tomb this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. You see, doubt can follow on from disappointment. It's kind of the next logical step. God didn't do this the way I wanted him to. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't even exist. Now, in one sense, doubt is a normal thing. In some senses, it's the flip side of faith. You see, we can't prove our faith in a scientific way that the world would want us to prove it. We can't do that. It's faith. It's a step of faith. And what comes along with that sometimes is the occasional question and doubt. And that's perfectly normal and natural. And we then choose to put our faith in what we believe. But if we're beginning to slide from the occasional doubt and question into a dark place of despair and disappointment and doubt, then we're going to be in trouble. And like these two disciples, our doubt and unbelief can blur our vision from the truth of the risen Jesus. So, how is your vision today? How clear is your vision of the risen Jesus? Is your vision blurred or are you in despair, disappointment or do you even have some doubts? Do you need some kind of spiritual eye surgery, laser eye, whatever they call it? See, our vision of Jesus can be corrected. Hallelujah. Because in the same way that Jesus joined those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's present with us <coughs> in the midst of the most troublesome and distressing of our circumstances. He's not a God who stands over here and looks over there and goes, oh dear, never mind, hope you do okay. He's a God who sent Jesus to come walk alongside us even in our most troubling, distressing times. (coughs) No matter how blurred your vision is or how spiritually blind you feel you are, there is a cure. You see, what does Jesus do? When he meets the disciples on the road, the first thing he gets them to do is to explain what's going on, which he already knew, clearly, but he wants to hear it from them. He wants to listen to them. He wants to know what's going on in their minds. So he says, what are you discussing? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Where have you been? Not exactly, but that's my... What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, powerful in word and deed. Jesus lets them own their own feelings. He gives them space to explain the problem. I think sometimes we have a problem as Christians in owning our own feelings, our sense of doubt, disappointment and despair. We're Christians, we shouldn't have doubts. We should be living in victory. Yes? Hallelujah? All the time. What would people think if I said I was disillusioned or disappointed or had doubts? But Jesus said, what's going on? And we all have to have a place where we can sit with someone who can say, what's going on? And that might be in your connect group, just to add to Emily's little plug, if you're not in one. 
what's going on? You see, we have to be appropriate. We can't come to the door on a Sunday morning and Wendy Glover's there smiling going, how are you? And you go, oh, Wendy, if you knew about my week, I've had the most awful week, Wendy. Oh, the cat's been sick. It's just been dreadful. The kids have been on holiday from school. I'm going mad. I can't wait. 20 minutes later, the next person comes into church. Wendy says, how are you? Oh, Wendy, you know, can't do like that. There are times when we come in and they go, how are you? Hi, I'm okay. That's sort of okay. As long as we have someone where we can sit down and go, you know what? Actually, I'm really struggling with this. I'm feeling disappointed about this. Help me. Remind me. Support me. We have to have that. Don't just put on the face. Don't just hide behind the Christian face with the big smile like you ate a banana sideways before you came. So ways that we can correct our spiritual vision. We need each other and we need to have that place of honesty and openness. But also as we read the scriptures, you see the next thing Jesus did was he said, did the Messiah not have to suffer these things and he goes through Moses and all the prophets and explains to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself he went through the old testament and said this is what it says about Jesus Emmaus was seven miles away and they were walking so they had time to go through it all and this is hugely important to understand that Jesus revealed himself to humanity in the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures say things about him, his suffering and his entering of his glory. This is what a former bishop said. The Bible is like a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are the picture, the figure itself, the picture of Jesus. The Old Testament is like the background leading up to the divine figure, pointing towards it. And it's absolutely necessary for the whole picture. The letters or the epistles serve as like the dress and the accompaniments of the, of the figure, explaining it, describing it. Then while by our Bible reading we study the portrait as a great whole, the miracle happens. It's as if the figure comes to life and stepping down from the canvas of the written word, the everlasting Christ of the Emmaus story becomes himself our Bible teacher to interpret to us in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, reading the Bible is not just like going to the, the library and getting any old book and having a read. You know, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, it says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So as you read his word, you've also got the Holy Spirit who's able to make it alive and bring things out of it for you and speak to you through it. So the first question I'd say, if your spiritual vision is a bit blurred, are you reading and engaging with the Bible? It's not a difficult question to answer. If you like, oh, I need to, but where do I start? You know, 66 books, beginning, end. What do I do? You know what? There's so many things to help us. We're reading through this devotional. I'm sure there's still some left. If you haven't got one yet, that's a great way of starting. Read a little bit each day that it tells you what to read and then you, you read what they say about it and then you pray. Outside of that, there's loads of other devotionals. Or I want to just give you a little thing that I use quite often. Um, and what, what you do, it, this is not my idea, it comes from a book called The Divine Mentor by Wayne Caldera. 
Um, But what I do is you read a passage from the Bible and you ask God to speak to you through this passage and you look for a particular scripture in this passage that just sort of jumps out at you and just sort of, you know, you feel something is in there. And then you write that scripture down so you've got S for scripture. And then you think, what do I, what do I observe in this scripture? What, what do I observe? What does it seem to be saying to me? And then you write down a little observation. So you've got a scripture and an observation. And then you, th- you apply it to your life. So here's a scripture. This is what I've observed and this is what I'm going to apply to my life. So you've got scripture, observation, application and you write that down. And then finally you wrap it all up in a prayer. And write a prayer. So you've got scripture, observation, application, prayer, which spells soap. It doesn't matter that it spells soap. It's just helpful to remember, isn't it? Because I'm sure you'll remember that. But I've just found, I know it sounds a little bit, you know, but I found that a really, really helpful way, actually, of engaging with the Bible. And I just might, you might feel there's something going on in your life and you think, feel drawn to a particular story in, in the Bible or you might want to start with one of the Gospels and work your way through that. And uh, using things like that can help us. But the important, important thing is, the most important thing is that we're opening the Word and we're engaging with it regularly. The second way is as we welcome his presence In spite of Jesus being on the journey with these disciples and revealing the scriptures to them, they still could have missed it. But as they approached the village, Jesus carried on almost like he's carrying on. They go, no, 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 come and stay with us. The day's nearly over, come and stay. So he went to stay with them. And it reminds me of a similar verse in Revelation 3.20, which I'm sure lots of you will have heard of. And Jesus says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There is a sense in which we have to open the door and invite Jesus in. You might say, oh yeah, well that's for non-Christians, isn't it? We we might have a, a service and we preach the gospel and then we say, you know, Jesus is knocking on the door of your life and he wants you to open it to him. And that's absolutely fine, it's okay. But that verse was actually written to Christians. So there is a sense that even though we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, sometimes we can kind of have the door a bit shut to the presence of Jesus. And sometimes we need to actually open the door again and say, Jesus, I want to welcome you. I know you're in me, but actually I want to sense your presence. I want to be open to that. It's possible for Christians to stop engaging with the presence of God. Perhaps we don't pray so much. Perhaps we don't spend so much time. Perhaps we withdraw from church community. That's not you, obviously, because you're here, but all the other people. (laughs) I'm not saying that the presence of God or the presence of Jesus is only available when you walk into church. We don't believe that. We carry the presence of Jesus. But you know the analogy of the hot coals and the fire. You take one away and it soon gets cold. We stay warm and we stay together so we must keep engaging with the word we must welcome his presence and the third way our vision can be corrected is as we break bread together when the disciples finally invite Jesus to come in Jesus takes charge he takes the bread he gives thanks he breaks it begins to give it to them then they recognize him 
It's him. He is here. He is risen. And then he disappears. That must have been really annoying, don't you think? I would have been really annoyed. I have no explanation for this. But it would have been annoying. But anyway, they were open. Their eyes were open to the glory of the risen Jesus. Suddenly they'd gone from despair, it's all over, the cross was a defeat, it's all finished, to hope. Because they've seen evidence of the resurrection, they've seen the resurrection, suddenly their faith is not futile and their hope is not in vain. And so they go and they share the good news with others. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, the whole seven miles all the way back. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. So how was that visit to the spiritual opticians? How is your spiritual vision today? I'd like to pray in two different ways. First, I'd like to pray. I'm sure that there might be somebody in here today who really resonated with this despair, disappointment and doubt. Maybe there's things going on and, um, in your life and you've, not, you know, you've been struggling. Let's be honest, you've been struggling and maybe you haven't found that person to talk to and, and you just are struggling. I just want us to pray now for people who might be in that situation that they will just say, really sense the presence of Jesus so what I'd like us to do I'd like you to close your eyes so that you're not looking but if there's anyone who feels yeah actually I resonate with that there's some doubt there's some despair going on if you just raise your hand just so that I can see you and then I know who I'm praying for and then I'll pray so if there's anyone who feels there's just that sense of I need to feel the presence of God again. I've just got some stuff going on. And there's some despair, some disappointment. Okay, let's pray. Father, we know how hard life can be sometimes. We thank you for the presence of Jesus who walks beside us through his Holy Spirit as we walk through days that are good and days that are not so good and days that are just dark. Father, we just pray for people in this church today who feel in that place of despair, that place of disappointment, maybe some disillusionment. Father, we pray that they will sense your presence walking alongside them today, that they will once again be reminded of the hope of the resurrection, that our faith is not futile, it's not in vain, there's a big picture And that one day we will see that entire hope realised in our lives. Pray for encouragement, God. Pray for people to come alongside who can help and who can support in Jesus' name. And then secondly, maybe we can stand as, um, let's stand together. I just want to pray for anyone who's recognised today that actually, you know what? I have let that Bible reading go. I have been slipping on that I've not really been engaging with the presence of Jesus I've been letting that go I've let that slide and actually you know I need to kind of almost make that recommitment I need to open that door again and say come in Jesus come on I want to really fully commit and I want to 
I've given my life to you, or maybe you haven't, maybe this is the first time. I've given my life to you, but I, I need to do my part. You know, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Jesus, he's, he's not a bully, he's a gentleman. And he wants us to invite him in. So I'm not going to ask you to respond publicly to that, but I'm just going to pray and uh, you know if that's something God's laid on your heart today. So yes, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you can speak to us. The Bible is not just a book that we read, but it is something where you can speak to us. And we thank you, God, that your presence is a reality. Sometimes we feel it more than others. Sometimes we don't feel it at all, but your presence is still a reality. And so I pray today, Father, if there's anyone who really realises, hey, I've let that go, I've, I've stopped inviting you in, I've, I'm kind of putting the barriers up, that they will take those barriers away. They will open the door, fling wide that door of their heart and let you in today. So we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for each other. We thank you for this community of Encounter Church. And I pray as we move on through this service and through our day, we will encourage one another as we know the resurrection is true. You are here. You are with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.